that six credits that I had left in the summer, I found out about a program to the, to the EU that Professor Emilio Viano, I say he changed my life, ran every year. He was in the School of International Service. This program, it was about the EU, the European Union. Mm-hmm. And you literally went to the European Union. I re- it was a great trip. I want to say three weeks. I know we started in Paris. Not This isn't going to be in order. I know we were in Amsterdam. We were in Luxembourg. We were in Strasbourg. We were in Brussels. And mm-hmm. we went to all of the EU, the European Union institutions, it was great. We had audiences with all the people, you know, that you would need to have audiences with. It could get into all of these government institutions. And we happened to be there during Brussels Jazz Festival or something. Ooh, nice. You know what I mean? It's that like, did he so plan nice. all of that? I know. He, it, was, <laughs> it was the most fantastic experience. It really was. Won't you come along with me? Hello, hello. Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, Perspectives on Studying Abroad from Past and Present Students of Color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Adrian as the guest. Adrian is the founder of Black Women in Europe, which is a blog and online community that she started when she moved to Sweden in 2006. Adrian is originally from Washington, D.C., and went to Europe for the first time in undergrad. She spent much of her early career in the music industry, and she just so happened to find a program that would facilitate her working as an intern, paid, in London for six months, also within the music industry over there. So that was her first experience in Europe, and then later on, she earned her first master's degree, her divorce master's, in public relations from a university in DC but as part of that degree she also did a three-week summer program where she and her classmates were learning all about the European Union and they went to multiple cities for that uh, but Brussels in Belgium was the big one because that is the capital of the EU and then after that she went back to the States and some more time passed and she really wanted to returned to Belgium. She missed being there and she also wanted to gain uh, more of a firm business foundation to add to the experience she already had um, in PR. So she went for her second master's degree. Um, At the time, Boston University had a graduate center in Brussels. So that's where she spent two years pursuing a master's degree in business administration and concentrating in marketing as well. And during that time in Brussels is when she met the Swedish man who is now her husband. And eventually, after finishing her degree, she moved to Sweden to be with him and has been there since 2006. (laughs) And that's where Black Women in Europe came in because compared to Brussels, which Adrian knew from experience, had a sizable Black community, Black population, in Sweden, especially the part of Sweden that she moved to, she she didn't really have that. And she wanted to have some black culture around her, wanted to connect with other black women. And so she started looking online, trying to figure out where other black women were around her and, and also throughout Europe more widely and who they were and what they were in Europe for and what they were up to. 
And so that endeavor that she started doing for herself became Black Women in Europe, the blog, which spotlights so many different black women and the notable things that they're doing and has also become a way for black women living in Europe to connect with each other. And that has evolved over time to include all kinds of different activities and initiatives, different forms of media that black women in Europe has been um, engaging with. And that includes a podcast. 2021 was the 15th anniversary of Adrian starting Black Women in Europe, and her business partner Angela came up with the idea to do a podcast and to get that out before the year was over in celebration of the 15th anniversary and also to take what Black Women in Europe has already been doing and put it in conversational form, in audio form. Adrian and Angela co-host that together and talk to all kinds of guests. So yeah, Adrian and I talked about the evolution of black women in Europe and a lot of the exciting things that Adrian hopes to do with it in the future, both this year and beyond this year, hopefully. And of course, we talked about Adrian's life in Europe from studying and working in Belgium and the UK to living in Sweden and what that's been like. And yeah, she had a lot to say, and I hope you enjoy hearing all of it. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Adrian George. Speaking of which, how, how has it been for you being in D.C.? Well... I always love being home, you Mm -hmm. know, but this was a little difficult because we lost dad. My father died last May. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. He was not. Thank you, sweetie. But he was 95. So, you know, and we died peacefully at home. That was great. Mm -hmm. But this was like our first Christmas. You know, his birthday would would have been over the weekend. You know, you know how you go through those those series of firsts. Mm -hmm. So it's like melancholy, but it's good to be home. You know what I mean? But you're just... So I would much rather be here than um, in Sweden and be weren't thinking about them. Because yeah, I know yeah. some people who actually had relatives. I have a friend in the Netherlands. Her mother was in a care home and died, you know, I guess like a year and a half ago, or maybe like the first year in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, it was impossible to be together. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was surprised that, <laughs> that you um, – you mentioned you were still there after the like Christmas, Christmas holiday. I know. I, my husband, my husband is like, "Do you live?" My husband is like, "Where do you live?" I know, but you know, I was I was supposed to leave. I think. Um, well, I knew I was going to have a meeting in February. Here's the thing, the tricky thing that always for me coming home because uh-huh. my parents' birthdays are both in February. So when you come for Christmas, mm. it's hard. You know what I mean? It's yeah. hard. To, so that's always kind of like a little long stay anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Gotcha. So do you have like a lot longer in D.C.? You well, I am leaving. Yeah, I'm leaving. I did have to extend it. I, I was thinking I was leaving the first weekend in March, but a meeting I thought was going to be an in-person meeting that I thought was going to be in February is actually the second weekend in March. So I had to extend. I was like, I just can't catch a break, you mm. know, for that. Um, as far as, you know, trying to come home early. So, so I, I'm definitely going home the second weekend, um, in March, but the, you know, then I, I'm always thinking, okay, when am I going to come back? 
Yeah. But this, you know, because that kind of makes me feel better if I I know. But I'm thinking this time I'm, you know, my ticket is for like September. That seems like a long time. We'll see what happens. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, you know, in the meantime, I hope you continue to enjoy being back home and, and oh. everything. You know, I I, I appreciate you saying that because I do. And I try to just like the little things, like just looking at my mother eat or like doing little things or, you know, like I try to be really, really mindful Mm -hmm. and um, soak up every little trivial thing because those are the things that you miss. You know, it's not, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be like some big event. It's just like the little things. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, that, that's what they say. And then you think that's just something that people say <laughs> like, it doesn't mean anything. And then when you realize, like you said, it is little things that make a difference or you're like, that's stay true. in your memory. Yeah, I know. It does sound corny, but you're like, you know what? That's true. And, and I find myself because, you know, when you work all the time on the computer, you know, when you have this online life, mm-hmm. I'm like, let me get off the computer a little bit and just go downstairs <laughs> and see what's going on, yeah. you know. And then you go down there and it's like nothing's going on. But then, you know, people are just happy to see you like, oh, hi, you know, you just have a little chit chat and then you just go back upstairs. So yeah. I try to do more of that than because um, I, I, I tend to just like get into like a zone. Mm-hmm. I can... um you know, I can sit for four hours doing something and not get up or do anything. And that's not necessarily good. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, so I, I find that. So I'm like, well, while I'm here in this house, you know, with my with my mother and sister, let me, you know, do better. Yeah, being so. uh, more present. It's definitely a value mm-hmm. in that. So, um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So thanks. For again, for Green to be a guest, I know you reached out previously, and the timing wasn't really right on my end. But so I'm glad we were able to get together and talk now. <laughs> oh yeah, and you know what? That was ages ago, and now I understand. Now that we started a podcast, I understand. It's like where does the time go? And you can't talk to everybody you want to talk to in in a certain time period. You mm-hmm. do. It's it's intense, and how? Yeah, how do you structure? How long have you been doing this? You've been doing this a while, haven't you? Yeah, uh, it'll be it'll be four years in June. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, thank of, you. <laughs> ooh, girl, that's a lot of work. That's cranking out a lot of stuff, isn't it? No, that is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, I think when I started, I was just like, I don't know. I'm not going to lie. At the time, I was really like frustrated with stuff that was going on at the time. And mm-hmm. I think that frustration like fueled me energy wise. Oh. And then once that like dissipated, um, then it was just like, okay, <laughs> yeah. well, I guess I just, I can't be motivated by anger or spite. <laughs> I have to be motivated by like genuine, you know, interest in doing this thing, which I had at the beginning, but you know, that kind of had mm-hmm. to take over once the, once the, like <laughs> that chaotic energy I started with ran out. So yeah. Um, no, I, I get that too because it is selfish. Like that's like therapy, but like I know I started black women. When you're black, it was selfish because I was like, okay, I, I'm gonna need um, to like because I moved from Brussels, but Brussels like a big black community mm-hmm. to 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 Western Sweden, a small town, and you know you're like, okay, where are my people? You got to find your people, and it's like so selfish. It was like out of survival, and then you realize, okay, other people are looking or finding value. You have a responsibility. So your motivation changes. Like you still, mm-hmm. like you always had that interest, but yeah, your motivation changes. Yeah, for sure. Because you're, 
you know, you're not just fueled for, well, congratulations on four years, because that's a lot of work, I know. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and congrats on, I mean, of course, we'll um, talk about Black Women in Europe and everything you're doing for that uh, later in the conversation. But congrats to you for launching the podcast, you and Angela, you know, that's yeah, awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, I wouldn't have done it without her. Because I know she, I had worked on a podcast with her before. So like you say, all the editing and all that stuff, mm-hmm. I don't do any of that. <laughs> uh, I, I don't. I, yeah, I'm lucky. So far in this partnership, yeah. I've been um, like booking, you know, like I've had like a wish list of people mm-hmm. that, you know, that wanted to talk to or, you know, things have come up and I have done some, maybe some creative, um, like the the marketing cards, but you know, like... She sets up the recording, make sure we get audio, you know, do the editing, do the music, mm-hmm. you know, all that uploaded, all that stuff. You know, I don't even know how you, you know, I imagine you download the audio file and then upload it. But I don't know what any of the back of the scenes mm. look like behind the curtains, I should say. So I see. Yeah. And you're doing all of that yourself. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all like, I know that's a lot of work. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, maybe if I, um, you know, trusted people more to be able to like share the load, then it'd be a different story. But I don't know. I like doing things myself and it's like a nice little ego boost to be like, oh yeah, I did that. All by myself. Not, well, I mean, you know, of course I have no. guests participating, but, you know, well, it's no, nice to I feel know. like, I, oh, yeah, I did that by myself, you know. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and I know what you mean because, you know, I've been doing Black Women Year for 15 years and it wasn't until I just started. I've been doing all that for 15 years myself. It wasn't until the podcast that I started working with someone and mm-hmm. that was Angela. And then sometimes it can be weird because you are like, um, I don't have to do it all by myself, but you used to do it all by yourself. Mm-hmm. She has suggestions and you think, no, no. And then you're like, oh, well, actually, yeah. What did you say? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know you're like, yeah. okay. But it was, it was because of her that I even realized that I was in my 15th year mm-hmm. last year. Mm. Um, Congratulations. Well, yeah. thank you. And that flies by. But, um, cause like I said, my dad had died and, um, peacefully at home. I'm so grateful for that. And I was here on a scheduled trip. So it wasn't like I had to make, you know, some horrible flight home. And she was, I, I said, she, she had stopped working on some project. I was like, perfect. Let's work together on this. Mm-hmm. And so I give her the access to the files. And she said, you know what, you're, this you're going to be 15 this year. And I was like, get out. I, I completely <laughs> gotten past me. So, mm-hmm. um, that, having a partner help, you know, can be a good thing. We're having help. Yeah, could be. I, I kind of looked at that like as that was like the first lesson I'm going to learn out of this somehow. I, I, you know, and I like doing it on my own. Like you say, I like working by myself. I love my own company. Mm-hmm. I like this accomplishment, sense of accomplishment. I like having an idea and getting it done right away. Like don't you know? Like mm-hmm. boom, it, it just gets done. You yeah. know, you know what I mean, <laughs> yeah. don't you? Yeah, you know, you don't have to wait for anybody to do it. I hate waiting for somebody to do something. Mm-hmm. That's annoying. But that could be a weakness, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm trying to tell myself, you know, that that could be like, I, I need to be open to all these lessons I'm going to learn for mm-hmm. having work with someone. Yeah. And I looked at it also as like validation because she wanted to work with me. Like she like she knew the brand. She mm-hmm. wanted to work with me as a person. And so I, I took it that way, too. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. And I'm glad that you two are working together and that it's starting off so well, um, especially as far as the podcast is concerned. I think I listened to your first episode and then like the most recent, like the last one you put out like the most recent one. Oh bless so, you. Yeah, I haven't um, even listened to that one yet. <laughs> um, I, I get so nervous. <laughs> and that's the other thing. Like when she edits it, she's gotta listen to yeah to it. You know, I get so nervous. It takes me ages to listen to an episode after it's released. But I, I have found myself sometimes laughing and thinking, oh that was good. Yeah. Or, <laughs> so you know, so that's that's a surprise. So I don't know why I'm holding out for this last one. I think it could be because, okay, we're at the end of a season. I think we're going to, okay, next month we're going to launch another season. I don't know because I kind of, because we just kind of started like, okay, let's we want to get it out before the end of the year because this is the year you turn 15. Like December 6th is the, mm. December 6th, two thousand. What six is when I did the first blog post. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of want to have that symbolic. And we were like, well, you know, we can do whatever we want. And we just, I think we ended up with eight episodes mm-hmm. for, for season one. And I said, you know, I think 10 is a good number. And Angela's like 15. And I'm like, okay, I was so resistant. I'm like, 15 seems like a lot. <laughs> who wants to listen to, you know, I'm like, who wants to listen to it? Mm-hmm. So, but she is a podcast, um, not fanatic, but um, fan. Like mm-hmm. she was way into podcasts. I'm not even into podcasts, to be honest. I don't listen to any regularly. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like she regularly listens to podcasts. I mm-hmm. shouldn't say I don't listen to others, but I don't regularly. Right. Um, which is a weird thing. You know, I, I guess because I don't want to be influenced, you know. You know, I don't know. I guess because yeah. I, I don't know. Does no, I feel that. Sense? I'm an avid podcast listener, but I don't listen to any travel podcasts, even okay. though I have one of my own. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so you get it. I am yeah. making sense. Okay. I, I, I know myself too well, and um, I don't want to get bogged down in, like, comparing myself to yeah. others. So, you know, I, yeah, I, I feel you. <laughs> yeah, we're like the same person. Because that's exactly, because I'm like, why don't even go there? You know, I know myself. I'm like, don't even, and I can get obsessed, mm-hmm. you know, like, don't even go there. So I, I don't listen to, so you're right. I listen, anything I listen to is completely unrelated to, mm-hmm. um, to, to what I'm doing. But I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one that does it. You know, I can't. I can't imagine if this was a movie. Like, if we were making movies, could you imagine sitting there and watching yourself? That would be even. Oh yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's a few of them out there. Like, are very successful actors, and they do not watch their films once they're out because they they don't want to watch them. So (laughs) I can relate. (laughs) I can relate, and you know, it's easy to be your own worst critic. Mm -hmm. You know, and you don't want to. You know, you don't want to get into that. And I like, like you say, once you put it out there, you know. It's just it's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's the approach I have to take. Otherwise, I'll, I'll dwell on it and I'll, you know, this is supposed to be fun, so I don't want to make it not fun by you know exactly. By, that's so easy to do. Yeah. So yeah, but anyway, I know we've been talking for a bit, but I was going to ask you to introduce yourself to get this conversation going. Oh, it's like we like old friends. I know old friends, right? Jumping in. Yeah. Well, I'm Adrian, and with the um, Black Women in Europe, um, I was going to say podcast. No, we'll blog in mm-hmm. um, Washington, D.C. native. And I started it. Um, the, the Black Women in Your Blog in 2006. We were just, I should know, mm-hmm. December 6, 2006, mm-hmm. after I moved to Sweden from 
from Brussels because I was really feeling like I wanted to have my black culture around me. I'm from DC when DC was chocolate city. Mm. I don't know if you know that expression. Yes. Yes. I've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Cause it's unfortunately not the same city. Well, I shouldn't say unfortunate cities change, but at that time, you know, it was chocolate city. So it wasn't um, a question of, you know, black mayor, black principals in your high school, mm-hmm. you know, black this, but you know, the black, you know, drug dealer or black, whatever. It was just, Almost like TV, it seems like nowadays, because, mm-hmm. um, and, and in our neighborhood, you know, white people as well. So, um, when I moved to Sweden, I didn't see, I wasn't in a, in a major city. So this let me get into my own world on my computer, working from home, because I was doing a job, a job website as well, and find out, you know, about things in, about black women in Europe that I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And it just started something that I had no idea was going to, I don't want to say turn into an obsession, but turn into like a proper project. Yeah. Yeah. Passion you project. Know. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Passion project. <laughs> because, you know, I found out about all kinds of things, you know, that, you know, Megan Markle isn't the first one of us in the British royal family mm-hmm. and, you know, judges on the, in the European court of um, human rights, you know, or, you know, of course, Olympians and beauty queens and TV presenters and academics and, you know, just your entrepreneur, you know, and, you know, you have those questions just like, where am I going to get my hair done? And uh-huh. um, so, you know, you kind of start local and, and fan out and, you know, you always know that Paris has got this vibrant black community. But, you know, over the 15 years, I found, you know, we're everywhere. Russia, mm. you know, we're in every corner. Um doing something, whether we're teaching, you know, because a lot of us is, is a great way to, to explore the world by, you know, teaching. I met a woman who um, went to Greece as a professional basketball player. Mm. Yeah. I know. Isn't that fabulous? Like, love and, well, love and basketball was in Spain, but yeah, like. Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's not just a movie. You yeah. know, I mean, it, it does happen. And then you think of places like Greece, like, oh, you wouldn't even think of, because we do kind of think of like Spain or the UK or France or Italy, um, but we're getting um, warm receptions, I can say, or have been making lives for generations all over the place. So that mm-hmm. was coming from Chocolate City. It was reassuring to know that, you know, we're doing our thing everywhere. Yeah. We just don't didn't hear about it as much, at least then didn't hear about it as much. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you started that. And like you said, 15 years, well, you're knocking on 16 years now. I strong. Know. <laughs> I know. No, and I'm wondering, but I feel very fortunate because I met different women and different people. And I remember not consciously not wanting this to be like a project um, focusing on African-American women that went to Europe. Because it was like, you know, I want to meet our sisters, you know, that with these foreign accents that are there, Mm. that have been there. You know, I would watch enough BBC, like, isn't it the coolest thing, you know, when you hear a black person, you know, with an di- accent, di- speaking English with an accent different than yours, mm, you know, yeah. I, that just delights me. You know, <laughs> it's like, we've got this common um, language, but we've obviously grown up in different environments, but we've got this bond because we're from the diaspora, mm-hmm. you know, but we're different from this, like, you know, you can go back and forth and that's fascinating. So I didn't just focus on the African-American experience and this French woman, she's an executive with Orange Telecom. Mm. She was like, you better trademark. Are you trademarked? And that was ages ago, she told me. And that was so smart of her to say. And mm. 
I did need it, somebody, you know, and I didn't realize, you know, that you're like, okay, yeah, they're black women in corporate, you know, like we know about our struggles in corporate America. Well, mm-hmm. what about the struggles in corporate France? Yeah. You know, corporate. So the struggles are real everywhere, the similarities, and then there are a lot of differences, you know, because the labor laws are different, you know, like mm-hmm. a lot, you know, it's easier to be a working mom in, in Europe yeah. than it is, you know, in, in, in a lot of instances in the U.S., let's put it like that. So. Mm-hmm. It's been interesting for me in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can imagine learning about so many different types of women and where they come from, and what they're doing. And like you said, things that you wouldn't have even anticipated that uh, black women were up to. But Oh, opera you know, singers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just thinking <laughs> opera singers. There's a sister from, from Arkansas, opera singers. Mm. Um, just everything that you can think of. You know, we're doing it good and bad. You know, I shouldn't say bad, but um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't see. Well, I should say maybe bad things happen to mm-hmm. us as well. But I don't really see. You don't see um, a lot of negative portrayals of black women in the media in, in Europe. In my experience, you just kind of don't see them at all. Hmm. And that was another oh. thing that I wanted to bring, you know, I was like, well, I know we're here. We got to be here. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, we can, we can be visible. Yeah. Yeah. Visibility is really important. So, yeah, you mentioned you moved to Sweden in 06, um, but you also spent some time in Bel- uh, Belgium. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. you, if I remember correctly, you studied there twice as a grad student. Well, let's see. Was it twice? One? Once, no, well, no, once because it was Boston University at that time. Mm-hmm. They had a graduate center mm. in Brussels. I want to say recently closed. I want to say in the last oh, time goes so fast though, four <laughs> or five years. You don't okay. have a bad, and I was so disappointed because Brussels is a lot of um, uh, headquarters for um, American companies or and just other EU companies because mm-hmm. you know it is the capital of the EU. You yeah. know, so they, a lot of people have lobbyists there. Um, you know, there's a, a vibrant American Chamber of Commerce there. Um, and so it made sense for this graduate chapter because I, I know some people I went to school with. One guy that I went to school with, he's he worked for the South Korean government, and they sent him there because his next assignment was going to be in Europe or something. They wanted to, you know, like to get him acclimated to Europe. And mm. one woman, an American woman that was in my class, she, um, her husband was sent there on assignment, and part of his expat deal, like she got to get a you know, get to, got to study at university. So, and then, you know, there were Belgians. There was all kinds of people there. So the, I got in the graduate program for um, business administration. Mm. And was that two years? My, gosh, that was two years of my life. Yeah, that was two yeah. years. And they had, I'm, I'm trying to think what the concentrations could be because it was, it was, wasn't a huge, huge program, but I think like IT, I did business administration. I did a, a, a with a focus on marketing. Hmm. I think you could do. Um, I can't remember what else it was. You could do that. Um, maybe finance, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was. I liked. I liked the program. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know if you know about Brussels because they also have this great program, Erasmus. Have you heard about that mm-hmm. program? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was say, cause I don't say we didn't necessarily do a lot of things with that with them, but Brussels is a great university town to be in, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's vibrant. It's got several universities, you know, and then people come internationally to Brussels to be in this program to study. So you can, it's a good town to, um, you can eat out like, Five days a week and not and have like <laughs> proper meals, mm-hmm. you know, like Italian meals, not cr- not junk food, mm-hmm. um, like cheap and cheerful. That's one thing I, I I appreciated about Brussels. They they take their Belgians take their food seriously, mm. and so even if you're not paying a lot for a meal, they you're going to get a decent. It's going to be quality, yeah. at least. So you can eat out. Um, there were places you could go to, like you buy a bottle of wine. You don't have to drink the whole bottle of wine. They like put a notch on it in your name, and you come back and you have your same bottle of wine. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I know little things like that because you know it can be expensive to have to buy a whole bottle of wine. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, but they would serve it to you like by the like I don't know. They would let you have a it, but Belgium can be really quirky like that too. Mm. Um, a lot of things that. I don't think work other places work like my drive. I have a Belgian driver's license and it never expires. Oh, like that. It's one of the old, I hope it's still valid because it's one of the old <laughs> paper trifold. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thing. And when it, ty- and it was typed and where it says expiration, it's just like X, 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 like it never expires. Mm. So that I think that's very handy. Cause that means I have an EU license and I do not have to get a Swedish one. And, passing that test is supposed to be hard but nobody should be afraid because i don't drive that often i'm not (laughs) you're not endangering anyone (laughs) no definitely not in the winter and definitely not in the winter because some of that training is like they teach you how to drive on ice and stuff in sweden like Mm -hmm. it's like and that's like as they should right yeah so i'm like i'm definitely not driving in the winter it's you know it doesn't make any sense i work from home i've been working from home since 2000 four or something mm. i was totally prepared for the pandemic yeah for, um, <laughs> yeah so you know so i don't really do a lot of driving so I, but i i will tell you every once in a while because my my suite is military so we move i will panic when i think where's that belgian driver's license yeah because you know, i don't ever <laughs> want to lose it yeah. That's like gold. It's like fairy dust. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very hard to get your hands on. That's mm. how I look at it. And where I live, um, if I were in rural Sweden, I would be, I would be in trouble. Mm. But luckily, you know, um, I'm, um, in a city and my bus stop is like a, a minute or two minutes, you know, away mm-hmm. from where I live. It used to be closer and they moved it. Oh. <laughs> it was like oh they adjusted the route because it used to be so you know i i, I don't mind um you're I, I feel like i'm getting more european because it's like I've, I've adapt more and more to public transportation yeah i mean that's something i wish so many more of us had like on on yeah. the side of the ocean you know um yeah. <laughs> so um, that's a wonderful thing that to be able to get used to is having access to public transportation in that way um oh and you yeah. get to knit you know yeah. you know because i do i take my stuff like that because uh, you know because when you work from home mm-hmm. you can it can be structured but it's easier to work a longer day because something will come to you like oh i can just do that mm-hmm. or it can spill over a little mm-hmm. so when i'm on the bus 
that's like vacation, you know, because it's like, okay, I'm out. Okay, it's like, okay, I have my knitting. You know, what else can I do? I have my book. I try not to be on my phone. You know, I try to use that time for something that I wouldn't do normally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh, yeah, uh, going back to Belgium. So you went for the two-year grad program. That was two years. Was it, you said, business administration with a focus on marketing. That was then, that was through Boston, right? Didn't you do something else through? Was it American as well? Oh, you know what you might be thinking? Of? Oh, yeah, I did. You know, I have three things. Did I tell you about the Bunak? Maybe I don't tell no, you about I don't the, because think the so. Bunak. Remember, is Bunak still around? Bunak. Do you know Brit- British British University's North America? club i want to say it was the first visa that i had to allow me to study Uh, well i could i well i think it was a work abroad Mm. visa and i learned about it um i was snowed in okay i was working at a record company how did i do this oh and i was coming back from london or something some type of flight delay Mm. end up um some person next to me was telling me about their study abroad. I was like, oh, how did you do it? And she's like, I got the Bunak visa. And I was like, you, Bunak, what's that? And she was like, British University's North America Club. We have to look it up and see if it's still around. And it was for Americans. And I know if you were Australian, I guess, I want to say Canadian, Mm. you could, I could go and study in the, um, I'm sorry, work in the UK for six months, like an intern, like, because I think you had to be a college student. Mm. But Australians could come, I think, for a year in the UK. They have a different arrangement where they could work legally for a year. I think Canadians, maybe a year because they're still Commonwealth or whatever, but oh, maybe right. just six yeah. months for Americans. But it was this study abroad. And I don't remember it being a complicated or expensive process. Mm-hmm. And I remember it being straightforward. You had to be in school so you could verify that. And then you could legally work. I remember sending making contact with um okay good man name okay that's the word in swedish um temporary agencies like manpower i guess would be the equivalent if Mm. they're still around um in in the uk and said you know i'm gonna be coming i've got this visa and they said um, i finally got a job interview with one Mm -hmm. because they were niche in the music industry i had i had experience experience in the music industry and you, I could do, I could work because I had that visa. But mm. there were certain steps, like you had to register at the police station. You know, you had to do certain things in order. And then, you know, like I couldn't work, look for a job if I hadn't registered at the police station. And, you know, there were a lot of things that you had to do, but it was, it was an easy way to get in. And that was my first experience. That was six months. But then, okay, yeah, I did the Boston University. But okay, American, okay, yeah. Okay, so Boston University, that's out of order. American University came first. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, because this is how, yeah, this is how I ended up in Brussels. How can I get that out of order? Okay. <laughs> I call this my divorce masters. Oh, okay. And it wasn't, it wasn't my first divorce, my second divorce. Hmm. Mas- my first time I got married when I was 22. Hmm. Second time... I want to say 32, but that seems like it couldn't have been 10 years apart. 34. I'm going to say 34. That makes sense. We won't say the, um, we'll just say we'll leave it at 34, but then, you okay. know, I'll bear it in another one, right? <laughs> right? And, um, so second divorce, divorce masters, American University in Washington, DC, um, 
public relations. My cousin had gotten her master's in public relations. And she's the work that I had was doing before in the music industry. It was like marketing part. She's an agent. You're doing PR. You just need to get the structure mm-hmm. and do this program. It's a good program. You'll like it. So I wanted to do it in a year. That six credits that I had left in the summer, I found out about a program to the, to the EU that Professor Emilio Viano, I say he changed my life, ran every year. He was in the School of International Service. Mm. And supposedly American University had a pretty decent School of International Service. So people from like UPenn and other um, universities would take this program. It was about the EU, the European Union. Mm. And you literally went to the European Union. I re- it was a great trip. I want to say it's three weeks. I know we started in Paris. I know we went to, I, not. this isn't going to be in order. I know we were in Amsterdam, we were in Luxembourg, we were in Strasbourg, we were in Brussels. And huh. we went to all of the EU, the European Union institutions, like the Court of Human Rights, the, you know, the, the, the bank in Luxembourg, um, the, the European Parliament, and they have something in Strasbourg. We went to, this guy was a pro. He did a great trip. It was a world-class trip. Huh. It was great. We had audiences with all the people. You know, that you would need to have audiences with and could get into all of these, you know, government institutions. It was oh. fantastic. So we stayed in, we were in Brussels. We stayed in Brussels in the, this hotel that had a jazz bar in the basement. And it happened to be like right in the city center where the, everything was happening. And we happened to be there during Brussels Jazz Festival or something. Ooh, nice. You know what I mean? It's that like, did he so plan nice. all of that? I know he it was, <laughs> it was the most fantastic experience it really was and the group we became we really bonded and i can remember you could see crushes on different people and there was this one guy who was developing a crush on one of the girls that was in or young women that was in our group and at one part of the evening he went to try to find her and we were like a group we were like okay we'll try to help you find her so we went to the (laughs) jazz club in the basement to see if she was down there it was part of the jazz festival so it was full of people Uh i ended up meeting this guy that's perform that's in a band that's um performing in that venue that night and end up staying and like i didn't go did i go back with my group I don't think I don't even think I went back with my group. Like I stayed in Brussels an extra week. um, Ended up moving. I think we were together a year, maybe two. I don't know, but ended up staying. Oh, I came back and worked for Ford in public affairs for a little bit, but I was longing to get back, and that's when I found that program at Boston Boston University in Brussels. So that's how I got back that second time. So with that, what visa did I use? Okay, with that. Oh, I got a student visa because mm. I had a visa, like a relationship visa when I was living with with the guy. I don't want to say his name. That's one thing I learned when I we podcast. I can't say people's names. Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. That's, that's one thing I learned in our podcast season one. I'm like, Angela, can you edit that out? I shouldn't have said that. Oh, I can't be naming names. Um, so, and, and I remember, you know, like when, when we knew the relationship was over and I was leaving and his mother said, you know, do you want to keep that relationship visa? She's like, you know, we'll, you know, we'll do that for you we're not mm. crazy and I was like you know no thank you but you know it just felt better to cut ties and you know you don't want to be precarious visa stuff mm. right yeah because in Brussels at least at the time I know in the beginning they it was the type of thing they would they had to come and see how you were living and inspect and oh. they could pop in at any time oh, wow. yeah yeah so I wasn't going to set myself up for um 
because then you get kicked out and you can't do anything, I imagined. Mm-hmm. So I, I went back and I, I just got through the student visa thing, which again seemed pretty straightforward. I don't remember having any huge expense or difficulty. Mm-hmm. It, um, just, just pretty straightforward. And because Boston University is an American, is an American university, mm-hmm. you know, I could get, um, you know, that it was straightforward process. Like I wasn't dealing with, paperwork in a foreign language or trying to navigate a European right. system. So so chronologically, just so I, I, I have this right, it was the, as you say, the divorce masters first, yes. which had you going to Brussels over yes. the summer. And then yeah. it was the masters through um That's right. And that master's Boston. was in pub- Yes. So the divorce masters, that was a, a, a public communication. And then the, the one that I got at Boston University, that was business administration. So mm-hmm. I wanted that business. And I tell you, that was the hardest thing. That, that master's in public communication at AU was super easy. I think I got A's in everything but one class. Mm-hmm. Was, to me, it was super easy. And I could see some people struggling with some elements, but that was like my thing. That was like, that was my element. But that master's in business, it was so hard because I didn't have a business degree. I had to take an extra math class that almost killed me mm. and the accounting class almost killed me. <laughs> um, no, it did because no, I, I think feel I, you, math isn't my thing either. So I know. And I got, yeah, I got a C, you know, you can't get a C in um, grad school mm. and I got C and I was like, okay, I got to get a everything else. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think I did except for like a B is, you know, cause I just, I had to really, I panicked. Well, I well, I didn't panic, but I recognized the seriousness of the situation, mm-hmm. and I can remember calling home like really like worried, like I can't, you know, I can't fail. And my dad was just like, "Do better." My dad was like, a few words, uh, just like, "Do better," and that yeah. was like, "Do better." Where my mom is going to be like, "Oh, baby, you know, you're going to, you know, give me this long thing." My dad, two words, "Do better," and I was like, basically, yeah, do better, mm-hmm. and. I did. I um, cut down the hours I was working at the um, American Chamber of Commerce. I went in there with my grades and said, look, I got to. So what I did, I had a proposal. I said, I will find someone to split my job with me. Mm-hmm. So because it was an eight hour and, you know, you don't want to put somebody in a bind. And I got someone to come back that had done it before they knew her. You know, so it was super easy. So we just job shared. Mm. And so I had to make drastic changes so of course that was you know less money and i can't remember how i if i suffered <laughs> you know i don't want to be like but i can but i can remember that no i had to um cut down so getting so that I, that's probably one of the things i'm most proud of because school's always been easy but that getting that master in business was tough. Whew, that was tough for me mm. so getting through that that extra math class i forget what it was even called math for business or you know it's like the course like the title sounded like you know (laughs) harmless right you know math for business oh yeah no it almost killed me and then the account the accounting thing and it's like okay yeah i got through it but you know i don't i hate account i don't want to be an accountant but you need to be able to look at something and say that doesn't look right Mm, you know yeah so i appreciate that so that was a challenge so that was so i did that and I have the type of mother that's like, you know, when are you going to get your PhD? And it's like, please. (laughs) (laughs) 
you know, and, and you know, and then like I, I even entertain like I can't even think of you know I couldn't even think of what I could possibly do a thesis on, not to mention a, a PhD level thesis, mm. but you have to really want stuff like that. And, yeah. Oh, I, just to tell you, not that you would necessarily be interested, but one thing when I was getting that master's at Boston. And I said, you know, like the minor in, in marketing, I did research on the availability of like foundation and makeup for dark skin zones in Europe. Because mm. I thought that was like so fascinating because I can remember when Maybelline came out with dark shades in the States mm. and like CoverGirl, you know, like being a teenager, like you see it in Seventeen Magazine, it's like they don't have your shade. And then, like, I can remember when they came out, like that was a big thing. Like all of a sudden, they're recognizing, like sixteen, nineteen, we've been here forever. Like, but you know, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, all of a sudden, yeah. <laughs> so you know, I was like, you know, well, what's this like in Europe? And it was good research, and I used it to travel. Like, I think I went, to, yeah, I went to Barcelona, mm-hmm. Paris. I think London and I compare like what was in Brussels and that was a really interesting Uh project. So I, I, I appreciate that um, program for that because it gave me a chance to like look at um, the difference. Cause you know how you think, Oh, the U S like you're so critical. I was critical to us. Like, you know, we should have more options and then you come to Europe and you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know, we have no option or hardly any options. It's gotten so much better now though. Yeah, I was about to say, you're, like, ahead of your time, because I know, like, Fenty now has gotten so much credit yeah. for all the, the range of shades for darker skin tones. Um, Fenty. You know who else is you good? Were... Mac? Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I think this might have been before Mac, even. But, you know, back then, Eve St. Laurent. But then it was like, okay, yeah, at the $45, $45 euro price point, mm. you know, but, like, what about the sisters that, you know, we're at the drugstore? That it was almost impossible to find it at that mm. level. But yeah, Fenty and Fenty was so popular in England, in the UK mm-hmm. recently when I've been there. I don't even know if I can afford Fenty. What's your favorite? You have a Fenty cult oh, product. Oh, I don't, I don't really use makeup, so I don't have a favorite anything, but I just, I just know that a lot of people appreciate the brand because of the, you know, not leaving darker skin, um, people out of no, you're absolutely you know, right. options. <laughs> you're absolutely right. And I'm the type that goes into that. Um, it, well, you, this is pre pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Where you could sit, you could go into a nice department store and sit in that chair and they'll do, you know, the, all that for you, mm-hmm. you know, the makeup and give you the little sample. You know, I used to love doing that. Um, because I'm not a makeup person either. For day to day, mm-hmm. but because my husband's military, you know, you have the occasional ball, and it's like, okay, you gotta mm. do it. But I um, was surprised at what was available for women. Like that, you, if you were willing to spend the money, you could find it. But if you were on a budget, it was tight. Yeah. So th- that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And I think was it Bunak? You said Bunak was. I know that was like yeah. working. That was after all of that. After you finished. No that. Bunak. No Bunak was the very first undergrad. Oh, I that see. was okay. undergrad. And gotcha. you know what? I need to look and see if that's still around because that is a fantastic program for undergrads. Because maybe your school doesn't have a semester abroad, or mm-hmm. you don't want to do a um. A study semester abroad, this is like gives you permission to work. Mm. And that's fantastic, you know, get international work experience. And that was one thing I played up on my 
CV my resume for the rest of my life, you know. <laughs> um, no, you know, I know I did, you know, yeah. international work. Who cares if it's six months? And, and, and for, it's impressive. It's, mm-hmm. impre- it's impressive. It you know, it's easy to say, well, you know, especially when nobody didn't have it. But six months can be a long learning period yeah. because it's like baptism by fire, mm-hmm. let me say. Yeah. You know, where everything is completely different. It's, it's total immersion. Let me put it like that. Okay, you know what? I just looked for Bunak because I wanted to make sure it was still around. And goabroad.com came up. They have a Bunak landing page. Hmm. But um, yeah, Bunak offers a wide range of work, intern, and volunteer abroad options. So that's what it is. Yeah, because, you know, it's your, your school can help you, you know, get an academic, mm-hmm. you know, study abroad. But BUNAC is more practical, like work, intern, or volunteer right. abroad. And I actually got paid. I got paid. I got a paid job. So you, can, <laughs> you, you can pay. Now that I think about it, yeah, because it's like I couldn't, you know, some people have the funds where they can go and do this volunteer work abroad, which is a fantastic way to do mm-hmm. to get abroad. You know, and, and, and I'm finding out that, you know, that's for people like, okay, when did I stop my age at 34? But say, you know, <laughs> right? Say you're past that and, you know, whatever, divorce, mm-hmm. kids, left, empty nest, whatever. As a couple or as an individual, you can be an adult and volunteer mm-hmm. abroad and you can be in that financial situation where you're like, I don't need to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got, this is my chance to go for six months and be in Italy or some, some dream country that I wanted to, to do because we're... You know, why not? Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's that's one thing I had never thought about before that I have um, found out about over uh, just recently, actually. And then I think they're actual programs for retirees, mm. exclusive for retirees. Yeah. Because, you know, retirees these days are, are young, like 65 is young and fit these <laughs> days. Yeah. <laughs> So there are a lot of programs for 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 getting abroad at all ages, yeah. and like, can you imagine sixty five saying, "Okay, I'm retired," or like you've been retired or whatever, but just say, "You know what? Maybe that, I'm going to take my granddaughter. We're going to volunteer abroad, or let's. I'm going to take some friends. Let's do that. Mm, that'd be really wonderful. I can see doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can too. I can too. So. I guess this is something I could have asked a lot earlier, but I mean, what, what, you've been in Europe for a long time at this point. What initially like drew you to wanting to go to Europe or just travel internationally, period? You know, what was your inspiration for doing that? Well, yeah, I've twofold, I guess, because I know my, my, my paternal grandmother, I don't remember her. I I was two when she died, Hmm. but supposedly, you know, like, you know, I followed her around. She liked me. She liked me. But I remember my mother said she was impressed that she had a master's degree when my, my mother met her. And in that generation, um, a lot of black women didn't. Mm. And she, my, her, my grandfather was dean of a seminary at a university. And she would spend summers like, you know, he's doing whatever. She would go and travel around the world and do things. And my mother was fascinated that she would go on her own and do these things. Hmm. And so that was kind of like normal, I guess. Like I didn't see my mother do it, but my, uh, my, my maternal grandmother, she and my grandfather, they, 
were very active in the Baptist church, mm-hmm. missionary Baptist church, and they traveled a lot to meetings like the foreign Baptist mission. They were on the foreign Baptist mission. They met, I can remember my mom was teaching a course at UCLA and they, my grandparents came and met us on the way home from Japan. And I had a, my grandmother bought me a kimono and I was Aww. nine. So it was like a little kimono. Oh, you know? it's so precious. <laughs> yeah. So, so like travel was like whatever. And then my father's brother, he worked for the state department and you worked for us aid and forefront. Like, so travel, that was like, at one point I had a dream to work for the state. Oh, I wanted to work for UNICEF. Mm. Trick or treat for UNICEF. That didn't necessarily involve work uh, or travel, but it was UN. Like, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I knew global. Yeah. That I never, I, that never, I never followed that path. But when I started working in the, in the music business, one for a reggae company, we had a distributorship deal with um, a UK artist. Um, he had his label and he had like a bunch of artists and I worked with him and organized a tour and he said, you know, he invited me to stay. He's like, come to London. I have a house right next to my house where all my artists stay when they record. Hmm. And he's like, you know, come my wife and her sister, you know, they can show you around, blah, blah, blah. So I took him up on that offer. He wasn't even in the town. He was on tour, but he was like, go next door. My wife and her sister expecting you. And I just had a fantastic time and ended up meeting some guys. Always some guy, right? Ended up meeting some guy <laughs> and um, wanting to move. And that's when, on one of those visits to him, I, on a snowy, like snowed in, delayed flight trip home, met someone that told me about the Bunak mm, visa. Okay, yeah. And that's how I, I got to London and um, got... Um, you know, like a job in the music business. It was like living the life, really. Had a dream job in the music business, the reggae music business in London. Mm-hmm. and um, But then, you know what, Danielle? Okay. Hmm. Do you believe in um, if something's meant to be, like how things can just like fall into place? Like this, things yeah. fell into place for me. Mm-hmm. Has that happened for you? And it seems like, wow, things are falling into place. Mm-hmm. I believe oh. in that. <laughs> okay, because I okay because I was still you know in school, but part time you know working part time in this in this reggae reggae business here, record comp, record label, and one of my contacts in Los Angeles worked for the um, now I should know this, but whatever the, the association is that does the Grammys, there's some okay like we know the people that do the Oscars, it's like the Academy mm-hmm. of whatever. There's some Academy whatever do the Oscar, I mean the Grammys, mm-hmm. the people that, that for the records, and the the guy that was in charge of it, his assistant. I don't know why I had a phone relationship with her. Turned out she was black and British, and her sister was going to come spend six months with her in L.A. and had her her apartment was going to be free. The mm. same exact time I needed it. Mm. So we swapped. Well, we didn't swap, but I took her apartment while she was living with her sister for six months. Hmm. And it was a council flat. Does that mean anything to you? Oh, council, like council estate type thing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So like, would we say in the state's projects or what Mm -hmm. would we say? Section eight or how department housing, you know what I mean? So which was like it wasn't some rat infested like horrible neighborhood like uh, you know like dangerous mm-hmm. but what it meant was like i could afford the rent right. is what it meant lower income housing yeah yeah i could afford it because you know london's not cheap and i know she probably made a little 
markup, which she should, but it was like 300 euro a month or something, which was cheap. And it was like a three bedroom. Now it was in the East End, Leightonstone. And I, I, I've come to find out now that that's like the East End is like cool now. But mm-hmm. when I would live there, people were like felt sorry for me. Not because oh. it was, <laughs> they didn't get yeah, the British people that I met. Exactly. I was like, what's wrong with Leightons? And it's not because it was dangerous because it, but they was far. It was the East End. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't cool, but I was like, I had a high street. I had my carry out. I was like, I can, was like, I can get my curry. I can have my Indian food. There was a library. I remember there was a market. There was a tube, like a subway, you know, metro. I was like, there's everything I need. I wasn't snobby. I was grateful, mm, you yeah. know. And I can remember I had a long commute, but I was like, you know, I'm on the commuter line. You just go early. Mm-hmm. I can remember the interview. The woman was like, oh, you live way over there. Are you going to come? I was like, I moved all the way from Washington, D.C. Yeah, I'll get up and, you know. Because <laughs> she said, you know, people have a bad attitude using the tube. And I could see it was miserable. Mm-hmm. Well, not miserable, but it, there there could be days where there were delays and there's no air conditioning. And, you know, it's the oldest subway system in the world. And some parts of it don't have elevators. And you're walking like deep into the bowels mm. of the, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's, but that's fascinating in itself too, right? Because you're like, you know, you're having this experience for a finite amount of time mm-hmm. and you soak it up. You know, I, I love, and then... London is such a great music business town, you know, like New York or LA. So then coming back to the States and saying, you know, I worked in L- in um, London and for a major record company that like helped me get jobs. Yeah. Yeah, you for know? sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so the idea of travel was kind of around you with like your family and the things that your family, your relatives yeah. were up to. And then also just like through working and meeting people and then like you said having things fall into place that also yeah. kind of pushed you toward traveling internationally and specifically yeah, like, going to Europe yourself. Yeah, meeting mm-hmm. that artist who was well established and said come you have a free place to stay. It's like that was my first trip to Europe. Mm-hmm. My first trip out of the US were, you know, my family, we were the station wagon road trip summer, you know, family mm-hmm. and we definitely drove to um Canada and Mexico. That was, you know, that was it. Like that, we didn't fly. And then I, my first off of the con- continent of, you know, North America was to Senegal. Mm. I was one of those people that, you know, got off the plane, kissed the tarmac. You know, <laughs> one of those corny people that you see, you yeah. know. And I was so glad that I had that before I went to Europe. And mm-hmm. London was my first trip to to Europe, and I figured, you know, it's that was a good easy one because language. Even though I almost got hit by a car. Somebody pulled me back off the, or somebody pulled me back onto the curb because I was looking the wrong way. You know, yeah. you're supposed. To, so, um, I know some people their first trip is in a totally completely foreign environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind, I feel like I eased it. I eased my way in. Like I, I don't want to say like I cheated, but I felt like I took the <laughs> easy way in. You know, hey, whatever works, whatever works. <laughs> But I, I just remember I read some article about a, a black young woman who turned a negative stu- uh, study abroad or homestay experience into mm-hmm. a fantastic one that's still maintained. I don't know if it was Italy. I want to say it was somewhere in the Mediterranean and her host was an older woman, like a grandma type. Mm-hmm. And the this, this sister, her, her last name was Lee, L-E-E. Mm-hmm. When she showed up, 
the 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 other woman who had a, it was she had a fit. She expected an Asian girl because hmm. because the last name was Lee. Oh, okay. I know. You know what I mean? Like Bruce Lee or whatever. So yeah. she was expect. So when she had saw this black person, she was completely unprepared, unprepared. Uh, maybe like she was a racist, like did not want. Mm-hmm. Like it was completely uncomfortable. And this woman, the, so the black girl, you know, she like felt horrible. Like what should she do? And I, I don't remember the details, but she hung in there. But don't you know, like these, these people, they write and still visit to this day, like mm-hmm. their family. Now, like somehow, I think through food, I think somehow in the kitchen, they like she showed her like her grandmother's recipes or something like somehow this black woman, she she adopted the attitude like, okay, I've come all this way. This isn't what I expected either, Mm -hmm. but I'm not giving up. I wish I could figure out um, what the source was, but there's a lesson in there. I would have booked up. I would have packed. I know me. I'd have been way over here. I'm not messing around. Yeah. I would have been afraid. You know, I would have, I wouldn't have felt safe in the house. Yeah. You know, that's just how I am. So that's real. <laughs> that's it. So I'm a, I'm a coward when, in a way when it comes to that. Um, do have people ever told you like, Oh, you're so brave. Like when you do this traveling and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they have. Um, I don't really feel that brave because I, I think I thought I would be more out there than I ended up mm-hmm. being in recent years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't really feel very brave about it. But yeah, I've, I've heard that from people. And, and they just make, yeah, I have, I have. And I, I, you know, you always think, oh, no. and then I think like specifics like that, like I'm not brave at all. I would be, but I have learned, I think moving abroad has really helped me hone my instincts. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're much more on high alert now it, it but that can be tricky because you have to for me at least i have to filter out okay what's a cultural difference and what's a straight up warning sign mm-hmm. you know so even when you get the explanation once if that weird nag- nagging feeling doesn't go away and i've learned that i can't afford not to listen to my instincts Mm-hmm. in Europe because I don't yeah. really you know what I mean it's, it's nine times out of ten if I don't listen to my instincts it's a, it ends in tears mm. like a lot of people think oh it's different it's like no it's not necessarily different you know your instincts are your because I've gotten in some bad situations you know doing things that I would not have done in DC or been lucky like leave your purse you know somewhere oh yeah because you think, oh, Swedes are honest and stuff. It's like people steal in Sweden all the time. Yeah, people steal yeah. anywhere. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was like, what do you think? You know, why would you say that? You know, but one thing I, I know, I think Sweden has excellent PR. I can appreciate that as a PR person. I'm like, I'm like, oh, they got excellent. They send their beautiful people out into the world, mm-hmm. you know, all the four corners. You know, they've got, um, you know, the Nobel dinner. The reputation for, I don't know how far I spread, but, you know, equal, you know, great maternity leave. Mm -hmm. God, the father has to take paternity leave, you know, like work-life balance, family balance. Yeah. Um, A lot of, I met, not a lot, but I think a couple and learned the more older African-American men that went to Sweden instead of going to the Vietnam War. I think Mm -hmm. I met three. Mm. So. So what would that make them 70 something, you know, um, mm-hmm. that carved out wonderful lives for them. So, you know, so you've got, 
I heard, I didn't hear, I was told that in the 70s, I guess, yeah, that Swedes would spit on Americans. Not all of them. Oh. But it could because they were so against the Vietnam War. Oh, the war. Ah. And mm. I had something similar when I lived in Brussels and was working at the American Chamber of Commerce, which was a catacorner from the U.S. Embassy. And this was during when Bush was president and we invaded Iraq. Mm. And I could see the barricades go up in front of the embassy like overnight. But you would go out after work with colleagues and people hear your American accent and they would be coming in your face. Are you for or against the war? Like, mm-hmm. okay, no, the first question would be, did you Bush vote for Bush? <laughs> and then the second question would be, are you for or against the war? And depending yeah. on the answer, they, they would calm down or yeah. they would escalate it. I never, you know, I never saw it escalate. Um, you know, you're not always aware of who's, you know, even looking at you. So it's, uh, when I mm-hmm. go out, I, I try, I don't, I don't, I try not to. I don't know. I don't want. I want to be quiet. I don't want to be that loud. American easily identified. Yeah, and I guess what do they call it? Streetwise or having street, street smart. smart? Yeah, I'm totally street smart. Yeah. Street smart. My <laughs> husband said. My husband said you're street smart. Yeah, I'm. T- I'm definitely street smart because uh, one time we were in Harlem, girl. He we went. To, he came to. Um, visit this is when one of my girlfriends had an apartment in Harlem mm-hmm. and I don't I can't remember what avenue but it, it was two lines that had the same street we got off on the wrong one and we're walking we get out we're like okay we don't recognize where we are but we're like if we keep walking we'll find it and you see like a group of I don't know four or five guys hanging up above and my husband is gonna pull out a map out of his breast pocket I said don't you dare <laughs> Like he, you know, he went to reach for it. I said, "Don't you? Da-. This is the old to date in our fifteen going into our sixteen year. The only time he's listened to me, <laughs> you know, the only. But even he knew. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, as you know, we kept walking, and as we passed that group, they were like, "Welcome to Harlem." And I said, thank you. And mm-hmm. we kept walking, <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. it's like, you got to look like, you know, but I, so is that street smart or instinct? That was like just common sense, mm-hmm. right? You don't do that. You don't do, but you know, I have been, you hear the Swedes aren't friendly. They, they can have a reputation for that. I have been in the middle, like in the bu- mi- busy morning when mm-hmm. people are hustling to work, standing on the corner in Stockholm with a map, trying to find something and have people stop and say, can I help you? Hmm. So I did not give those guys the chance, right? Yeah. To, to, to offer. Yeah. No, I that. That's where I think, okay, I, I went with my, my instinct and said, don't, it's not worth it. So that, you know, I'm not necessarily proud of that. Like, why would I feel safe to stand in the middle of Stockholm? That opens me up to pit pockets or, you know, anything else. Right. Hmm. But I was desperate late trying to get to some appointment and had to, you know, pull the map out. Yeah. So I'm lucky somebody stopped, uh, stopped and helped me because mm-hmm. um, it, it, it cut the time down. But self-awareness is something I really am honing in on in Europe because people stare so much. Yeah. That you're, you're just so, you're, I'm more self-aware. DC, you know, people look at you, but it's, it's a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely get being stared at and, um, you know, just standing out in a way that you can't 
help, you know? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, where's the Harry Potter invisibility cloak? You know, that's the only thing that would help. And I know you, you, you moved to, cause you spent time in Belgium, you spent time in the UK, you ended up in Sweden. Was that, like, did you move to Sweden with your husband? Yes, I met okay. him. Exactly. So we met, he was in Brussels for, for work. Hmm. So I met him and spent, we had a long distance relationship for a year. Okay. And it would be, um, we alternate weekends, one week in a month. So I would, you know, whether it would be my turn to come to, to Sweden or his turn to come to Belgium. Hmm. And during that, that year, um, actually my grades went up because I had just gone through that horrible, like, <laughs> seriously and I met him and it was like okay I can't fail now you know because mm-hmm. you know if you get embarrassed like okay you, you you tell people you're going to grad school you you have to produce a degree mm-hmm. right that type of thing so then you meet him and it's like you know so I I, I know I got to get through this program so yeah for, so for the year and then once I finished like the next month we, we planned it so we had started the paperwork and, and everything um, maybe six months before we knew I was going to move over. And I can remember going to the Swedish embassy in Brussels with a notebook with like a binder, like a three ring notebook mm-hmm. of all of our correspondence, email, like printed out emails, texts, all copies of all our plane tickets, train tickets, pictures. They said, this is the biggest file we've ever seen. <laughs> is, what, is what they said. And, um, and it was like, really, cause you know, we, again, you don't know. So we just had everything. Mm-hmm. We just had everything. And I think they were happy cause they were like, this is going to be easy. Like, this is good for like, mm-hmm. and I think, and I remember I had a young person. I want to feel like maybe, I don't want to say it was her first case, but like she was new into, you know, Brussels working at the embassy and, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was just delighted her. It was a delightful experience. Yeah. I hear, you know, some people can have horrible, I don't remember it being, you know, expensive. Uh, and I remember, I think they said, okay, we'll call, you know, the Sweden in Sweden to a face to face. He said that, he said they just talked to me on the phone. Hmm. And then two years after that, I had to go to an in person interview. Hmm. And I'm so proud of me. I got through this in Swedish. They, they don't. Oh. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> yeah. And I have to, it makes me think, like, what were the questions? Because it's not a super advanced level of Swedish, but I guess that point might be if you can't get through this and you've been here two years, mm. you know. Yeah. Not not everybody can learn languages, but it could also mean like, because they have um, classes that you should take. You don't have to take, but they're, that that don't have any out-of-pocket costs. Mm-hmm. So maybe they, they do that to see like, gosh, you didn't know you could have been in the Swedish for Immigrants program all this time or mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, and she said, you know, you did you want to be a Swedish citizen? And I had never thought about it. Mm. And just said, I don't want to give up my American citizenship. And she said, you don't have to. So that's, I, I've I've talked to people that said that was a relative, that's a new change. Because I know some people that have been in Sweden 30 years and they don't have citizenship because you couldn't. And they that's on their list of things to do now. Like, they're not in a huge rush, but they're like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I'm going to get my Swedish passport because I can. Yeah. You know? So, so is is Sweden? Is that like your forever home now? I know you like have a family there and everything. Is that where you see yourself spending the the rest of of your life? You know, as long like, 
is if I can make ultimatums, it <laughs> would be it would be very. Um, I would be very. I would consider myself very blessed and fortunate if I could say yes, with the exception of the winter, we're like in Spain or Portugal somewhere. You know mm. what I mean? <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> Somewhere warm, where you know, where we have figured it out. Whether that means we own, you know, like a an efficiency, like a one bedroom flat, like you know, like how much space do you need? Like you know what I mean? Like when mm-hmm. you really, because he's got my sweet's got um, two adult children and currently four grandchildren. Another one should be born mm-hmm. this month. So, like, do you want to have that type of place where you know the kids are coming? Or like maybe you don't because the kids would be coming all the time. Like you know what I mean. Like just yeah. think like what do you want? But I, so whatever we decide would look good to mm-hmm. us. Like whether you rent all the time or you own, I would love to be able to have that type of um, alternative. So you know, it's not like I'm set up in you know the Mediterranean where it's mild all year round. Yeah, it's Sweden is lovely, and and, the, and one of the advantages of in the summer is the the very long, long, long sun, mm. um, you know, hours of sun, mm-hmm. you know, where we are, it can, you know, be 11 o'clock and it's not dark. You know, you have a lot of daylight. You, you get used to that, you know, with the blackout curtains. Um, but the thing also, for 4th of July, you can't, where we are, you can't do fireworks because mm. you, you, well, you can't see them mm. because, because it's not dark enough. Yeah. So, the, so their fireworks you do in the fall. I see. And yeah, at Christmas, because I realized that I think the first time some Americans or something got together for Fourth of July and then tried to do fireworks, it's like we can't. And you, you know that you're not going to be able to see before you light it, but you think you, it's going to work, you know, because you just you want it to work. So that's you know, so you get used to those little things like that, and you embrace. Okay, so I know I'm going to have um, not that much sunlight in the in the winter, but. I can't imagine um, living in another country at this point in my okay. life. Portugal. Have you heard Portugal's a hot spot now? I have heard. Um, I know that's a place that a lot of people from the UK go on vacation. And I know mm-hmm. people talk about, I've heard people talk about wanting to retire there as well. So Yeah. And there <laughs> are a lot of articles about the, I don't think it's necessarily all African American, but black community mm. of um, millennials that can afford to rent in nice places or even buy are doing it. Mm. Um, and actually, I know a, a sister who's planning on moving in the next two weeks. Mm. Um, and she's very methodical and did all of her research. She can prove that she can support. I forget how much money you have to say, show you have in the bank, mm. but there's like some incentives. For people to come and like invest and build a life in in Portugal, so yeah, it, it's a it's a wave of people going. So that might Something be for you to think of. Yeah, so that might be like you said, like your winter where you, where you escape exactly. to for the winter. <laughs> exactly, and it's interesting because, like you said, a lot of British people go there. A lot of Swedes do as well. Hmm. So you you know you can find your people there. You know what I mean and. Um, I've been told you, you have to do your research when you do these major things that if you stay to the big cities, English isn't a problem, you know, like until you can get your Portuguese up to some type of level, because they, it is still advised to learn the language. Even if you're being given incentives to move over, it's still your responsibility to, to, to get the language, get a mm-hmm. basic understanding of the language. Yeah. 
Um, so, so you said, you know, you couldn't see yourself living in another country, but, you know, doing maybe staying a season here, a season there. Um, is there well, any place in the world that you haven't been that you'd like to go or maybe someplace you'd really like to revisit in the future? Oh, absolutely. And and just to say, it's not that, and it's not because like I'm so in love with Sweden that it's like, oh, I found my forever place. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a lot of work to pick up and move and try yeah. to learn the culture and the language. You know what I mean? I'm to that point. It's like, well, you know, I got to, you made your choices, you know, you kind of mm-hmm. have to deal with it. But having said that, like, yeah, if you have EU citizenship, you know, you can do these. There would be no reason why we couldn't say, okay, this winter we're going to Portugal. Next winter we're going to Spain. Mm-hmm. You know, the winter after that we'll go to Italy or or different things. But I would love to go to, like, somewhere in the Indian Ocean mm-hmm. or Mauritius. I don't think Mauritius is Indian Ocean, but Mauritius for some reason, seems interesting to me. Yeah. And then, like, Fiji, those those places like that that always seem like it takes five days to get there or something. Mm. <laughs> and, and I've never been, I've been to Bali, but I've never been to, like, Australia. New Zealand's supposed to be super beautiful. I would like to see that. But in mind, like, I would love to see Aboriginal people. You know, mm. like, how are they living and because I know, like, when I went to Canada, I was lucky. I wasn't thinking about it. But somebody took us to a reserve. And I was like, okay, they call them reserves there. We call them reservations yeah. here. You know, so I would, I want to be more mindful of stuff like that if I go. Not just be the, the um, tourist. I'm just here for, you know, <laughs> I need to, you know. De- but it, but I, you know what, I need those trips too. Nothing wrong with those trips. Yeah, yeah. Where, where you I don't leave you. the property and you just... But I want to, you know, I want to be more of a, um, what's the word, conscious or aware, socially aware? Because mm-hmm. it is all about that. And that's one thing about um, Europe, that balance, balance, balance. It's hard. Mm-hmm. You can't, they, balance is definitely um, something that you want to, that you focus on. And it's, you've experienced this, I'm sure you're like a de facto ambassador. So, (laughs) you know what I mean for them, for America, but then for Africa, African America, you know, for for Black America, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times people, this is the first time they've had a chance to have a proper conversation Mm -hmm. with a Black person or any conversation with a Black person, um, and through no fault of their own, you know, because if you live in a you know village of three hundred thousand people and there or thirty thousand and there are no Black people. You know, they say that about um, major cities in the States. You know, like Mm -hmm. a lot of people never leave their neighborhood. It's the same thing in Europe. You know, a lot of them don't get out. Um, You mentioned being a de facto ambassador for Mm -hmm. black people. Um, Mm -hmm. And, of course, we also talked earlier about black women in Europe Mm -hmm. and and all the wonderful things you've been doing with that. Um, I'm wondering, you know, what are you looking forward to with black women in Europe you know, either podcast-wise or, you know, other things that you're doing through that? What are you looking forward to? Well, yeah, you know, this is so nice. It gives me a chance to, like, plug the little evolution because, okay, it started with the <laughs> – and I can do it quickly because it started with the blog uh-huh. and then social network, right? And then, like, split the social network for women in the States, too, because they have different kind of questions. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I did a power list. You know, it's going to be the 13th power list this year. And then um, it was a Kiva lending team. I don't know, like microloans, you know, so mm-hmm. we're, we're, you know, we're doing that. And then the podcast, um, I don't think, oh, I did something 
I did a couple things for the first time this year. I did a, a Galentine's Day event, mm. which was super, super nice and fun <laughs> and had a, the woman, Monique Wells, that runs Entree to Black Paris. She came and talked about Josephine Baker, who is a um, an icon in France. She was an mm-hmm. African, very, very poor African-American <clears throat> entertainer that in the 20s went and took Paris by storm and yeah. literally she's a French hero. She's got like the highest honors. Mm-hmm. Um, she spied for France. She was in the military. She was just a phenomenal person. <clears throat> so we had, excuse me, Monique talk about her because she had just got enshrined into the Pantheon or something. France gave her this huge honor. Mm-hmm. And we had a sexpert, Funky Brown chick, who's actually on her way moving to Portugal. Talk about making big decisions and like how to suss out, like if you're going to move to Europe mm-hmm. or like move within Europe. Um, so we did that for Galentine. So that's from, that's me trying new things because yeah. I had never just done like a social. And I'm thinking we may do more of those. Um, but I also put together first time like a, a Valentine's gift guide. Mm-hmm. Where it was just featuring black women um, that made gifts that would be suitable for Valentine's. But the thing that we're going to do this year that we haven't done before, and it's Angela's idea. See, bringing in a partner. <laughs> she wants to, I've seen it maybe for the UK, probably exists for France, but a European-wide, like, buy black directory. Oh, yeah. 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 So not just... You know, where is the hairdresser, but where is the psychotherapist? Where is the mm-hmm. the person who's a tax preparer that just happens to be black? Mm-hmm. You know, the, all the restaurants. I know, like, a sister in the Copenhagen, she's got, like, a eyelash bar, you know, mm-hmm. and, and make, she's a makeup artist. Like, just where are all the photographers? Mm-hmm. You know, you want your family's picture done. We don't always get lit right, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> You know, just so everything from soup to nuts, Mm -hmm. you know, for for European wide. So that's something that Angela wants to do, which I think is a great idea. Um, And that just requires people to make submissions and um, asking people uh, and just being mindful. Like if if I'm out, like even in my little small town in the West Coast of Sweden, there's that one black hair shop. And I knew, you know, somebody told me when I moved there because they had moved there before me. Yeah, go to Coco's on such and such, mm-hmm. you know. So to have that type of thing that's, um, you know, digital, I don't know if it would ever be hardback. People, I don't know what people do in formats anymore. Mm-hmm. But to have like that type of resource where wherever you are, whether vacation or you just landed or you're on a business trip, you can buy black first, like when it comes time to spend your money. Yeah. So that would be, oh, one other thing too, internship program. Mm. Trying to launch that in conjunction with a or several universities that would not only let the students work for college credit, but also um, help find funding for for stipends or, or decent stipends. Mm-hmm. You know, kids you have to have you know you need money for um, for an internship. I believe internships should be paid. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, luckily I talked to, I was talking with one woman who um, is associated with a Canadian university. She's based in New Jersey and she says, we've got money. We've got grant money for internship programs and we need a partner. It's like, okay, could this be the, you know? Mm, Yeah. So we'll see. So looking for things like that. So those two things, because I really want to train. I want, um, one of the other things that has come out of this 15 years 
is a nonprofit. And because um, I want to make sure that when I'm <laughs> hang up my pen or turn off my keyboard or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that expression when you hang up your shoes or whatever, mm-hmm. hang up your gloves. When I don't want to do black women in Europe anymore, I want it to be sustainable. You know, I want it to have the resources in place or the structure where someone else can take it over and like it doesn't necessarily um, require me to have a succession plan like where I identify that person. Mm. You know, there's a nonprofit. The board can do that um, so that we can always have another source, an alternative source of uh, mainstream media um, for black women, you know, because I'm not seeing, you know, mainstream media talk about a lot of black women that are doing phenomenal things. Mm. Or, or having it bad. The, the, the woman, Cecile, who was the first um, black person in the Italian parliament, they mm. threw bananas at her, her colleagues. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, these are I've her colleagues. I've never heard of that. That's the awful. Fish is, is awful. Things like that. So we don't hear about stuff like that. Yeah. And then we also need to let, you know, have these 10, 12, 13-year-old girls see her as a member of parliament in in you know that's in Italy just to know that I I can may not live in Italy but I can be a member of Parliament in my country mm-hmm. where I am you know well you know we don't we say it often now representation matters right that's that's what I want to make sure that's why the nonprofit to make sure that that foundation is there so that through whatever media channels yeah and then also to um provide a directory of associations across Europe that support black women. Mm. Like, where do you go if you think you've been racially discriminated against or sexually abused or harassed by your employer or discrimination? Like there are a lot of organizations that help women and in particular black women. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other part, the last pillar um, to provide scholarships and I wanted it to go both ways, like for, for American women to study in Europe and European women to study in, doesn't have to be the U.S., wherever they wanted to go. But mm-hmm. I definitely wanted to help American women do a study abroad yeah. in Europe. And it's not written out, but an internship could be a part of that. Mm-hmm. But the internship might happen before the scholarship. But if I could get those three things funded, and um, that would be great. I see. So after some point, it either needs to be taken over by somebody else so they can do something fresh with it, or mm-hmm. it's no longer serves its purpose, mm. you know, and, and other things happen and you can't be sad either way. That's going to be the trick to see, yeah. is it is is it just been me, my sheer will really propelling this all this time? Or is there somebody else that's like, no, I can do this. Yeah. You know, I can see that this is worth something, even if it meant changing completely what it looks like now, but just mm-hmm. seeing that this community of black women matters. Yeah. Um, you know, let's do whatever, whatever's happening in 2035. Right? <laughs> yeah. If I could be that visionary. Yeah. But well, I certainly think that it matters and that I, I hope it lives on. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that someone, uh, what's the word? T- take off. You can hand off the baton to someone yes. else when it's time. Um, exactly pass but, um, the baton yeah i would love to i would love to <laughs> yeah but in in the meantime while you're still in it you know you you and angela are both in it you know um oh, yeah. where can people reach you keep up with you or you know keep up with black women in europe 
you know, well, plug plug away where they can and find you. Know you. What? I know. And you know what? This is embarrassing. And this is another reason good to have a partner. After 15 years, we just got an Instagram. It's like, oh, okay. why don't I have Instagram? <laughs> and then, you know, and it's like, then when I went to do it, somebody had black women in Europe. I'm like, who's this? And they have like no posts, nothing. It's mm. like, who? But anyway, so we have a funny name, but... We're on Instagram, we're on Pinterest, we're in LinkedIn, we have a, a group for professional women, we have two groups on Facebook, um, a Facebook page, and there, there's the original blog, there's the Power List that has a main presence on SlideShare, and there's the YouTube channel. Now, Linktree is our friend, right? Because mm-hmm. if you just go to Link, what is it, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, then forward slash... And then black women in Europe, all one word. Mm-hmm. You can see everything. The podcast. Yeah, everything's there. Um, I, if, I would appreciate being able to put a plug. I had a YouTube channel, never did anything with it. So I like to say now that we're 15 and all grown, we're trying to do <laughs> something with the, with the YouTube channel, take it seriously. Mm-hmm. So if anyone so happens to be um, somebody that, that finds themselves on YouTube, just you know, look for black women in Europe. And subscribe. Subscribes help your visibility. I'm learning all that stuff. And, you know, the videos that we do have, we want to make sure that they get as much visibility as possible. So yeah. you have to, I'm learning, you have to ask people to subscribe. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, it feels a little weird because you think it's like, well, they'll subscribe if they want to, right? Yeah, yeah. It's hard so, for me to ask people to, to do stuff. So I, I get oh, it. I, I hate it. it. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. It feels icky, but just put it out there because, uh, you know, I have found too that a lot of people won't mind, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing a favor for you or helping, being helpful if you ask. Mm-hmm. So I have to be more open. We, we don't know what we're missing, right? We might be mm-hmm. missing a lot of um, surprises right. by not asking for help or doing everything. So I'm asking for help, people, um, Danielle's um, listeners, because um, YouTube likes or subscriptions are a thing. Don't just like a video, in other words. Subscribe. Yeah. Okay, that's my pitch. Ooh, I should take a shower now. <laughs> oh. You did it. Good I job. Did it. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Thank you for letting me do that. Yeah, no problem. I, I, you know, I give everyone an opportunity to do that. And um, yeah, so like you said, the people can check out the link tree for Black Women in Europe to find all the stuff. And especially also subscribe to the YouTube channel um, to bring that traction. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, I know we went a little over time, but I appreciate you, you know, Chatting it flew with me. by. It <laughs> flew by. Thank you so much. Yeah. You're like old shoe. Comfortable, comfortable, comfortable. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. I don't think anyone's ever called me an old shoe before. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> but you know what I mean. No, I get it. Pair. I get it. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad I made you feel comfortable enough to just, you know, talk. You know, that's what I hope to, that's the feeling I hope to give people especially people I haven't had the chance to really meet or talk to before so I'm happy to you're, hear that <laughs> you're really good thank you so much keep up the good work congratulations on four years and keep it up oh thank you thank you you know congratulations to you as well on all you're doing oh my gosh I just realized there was a question I forgot to ask you oh, um ask. well I mean you kind of we're dropping gems throughout anyway but is there any advice that you would have for someone who wants to 
study abroad or live abroad like you have or work abroad? Well, for study abroad, anybody wants to study abroad, my, my first thing is like, do it. I think, um, depending on your circumstance, if your circumstance is like, you might be the first person that you, that you even know, not to mention just in your family, but that's mm-hmm. like, even in your circle, that's thinking about doing it. Stay focused. They're going to be people that could easily be people that, that will be afraid for you or give you other reasons why you shouldn't do it mm-hmm. or why it's not going to work out. Don't fall into that. Mm-hmm. If it came to you that you want to do it, do it. Now, make the plan. So if a study abroad, do whatever. You have to have certain grades, right, mm-hmm. to, to study abroad. Do whatever they say. Do it. So plan. Don't wait for last minute. When you pick your place, don't pick your place because you think you would like it for some random reason. Mm-hmm. Really, really try to figure out why that's going to be a good fit for you, whether it's the program. Because you could end up going to some place you never heard of and you think, oh, I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. But if it's that program, you can have the, the most amazing experience and you will be with like-minded people. But, you know, more than nuts and bolts, just don't, if you've got that instinct to go stick with it and don't let anybody keep you mm. from, from, from doing it. Totally, totally agree with you there. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that because yeah. I think study abroad is a fantastic, not only way to get abroad, but real life experience. I mean, real life mm-hmm. experience that you can't get any other way. And especially like somebody like you that's a lover of languages, you actually get to be in that ex- environment and, mm-hmm. and, and, and speak the language. And that's everything. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I, oh, I almost, welcome. I almost miss asking that question. I can't believe okay, I was so caught up in the flow of the conversation. I forgot to ask you, but yeah, I'm glad that you were able to drop one more gem. Um, in addition to all the other gems you've, you've dropped my in this drop. conversation. Yeah, my drop. I'm done now. I got nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I will not take up any more of your time today. I, again, this has been really great and, um, I'm glad we finally got Ditto. the chance to talk. Um, Me too. And I, I just, appreciate you. Oh, thank you. Likewise, I appreciate you as well. I hope you thank have you. a great rest of your, your evening. And this your is perfect. Weekend. I've got yoga at eight thirty, so this is perfect. Oh yeah, awesome timing. Yeah, so even yeah. though we went over time, you still have time to get ready for yoga and yeah. all that. Yeah, so. this is perfect. Exactly. Yeah. So okay. So namaste. Namaste. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful <laughs> yoga session. <laughs> And, Thank you so um, much. Yeah, I'll I'll be in touch. Okay, you'll hear from me in no time. All right, I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, <laughs> thanks, Daniel. Okay. Thank you so much, Adrian. Take care. You too. Bye bye. Bye. All right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Adrian for being such a wonderful guest, and I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to Young Gifted and Abroad wherever podcasts are. And you're welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you leave ratings and reviews. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at 
gmail.com. So for the next episode, in two weeks, the guest will be someone who works in the entertainment industry in L.A., who had a pretty unfortunate experience studying in Prague, the Czech Republic, but who managed to turn it around and is now a very avid solo traveler. So you can look forward to hearing all about that in two weeks. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.